it is my pleasure to invite to first introduce and then invite Shahana Singh to speak for us. Shahana is an author and commentator based in Texas. She is an environmental engineer by qualification who writes on a variety of issues, including water management, as well as uh, Indian history. So you can see the wide spectrum here. Her first book, The Educational Heritage of Ancient India, was published in 2017. It has proved to be an awakening for Indians to show them what lies in their past and how they may bring it to the present. She is a director at uh, the Indian History Awareness and Research and a board member of Ishwar Seva Foundation for Hindu Refugees. Shahana will be speaking on topics around her book, The Educational Heritage of Ancient India, but she will also bring it into a kind of modern perspective by speaking also of the colonial and the Islamic uh, experience which has changed our educational system beyond all recognition. Please, Shahana, we are waiting for your talk. Thank you, Sumedha, uh, for, for that introduction. Namaste to everyone. Uh, it feels very special to be with uh, people that I've admired and followed for such a long time. In many ways, uh, we have learned and sparked ideas of each other, all of us here in this, uh, in this uh, meeting today. So many thanks to Indic Academy for bringing us uh, Sakhis together. So um, I see myself as an explorer uh, who's trying to reach ancient India and to piece together her uh, rich, exquisite educational heritage. My uh, first book was uh, very brief. It was like a monograph. So with my second book, I have tried to delve deeper into the topic of India's educational heritage. Hopefully it will be published around uh, April or May next year. So, uh, so I spent, uh, as Sumedha said, I spent a lot of time writing on the water and wastewater issues of uh, Asia as editor of Asian Water. And uh, that made me travel a lot. And I even, uh, and there too, there is a lot of involvement of women in the water sector in bringing water for the family, keeping it, uh, collecting it and using it uh, in, a, in a conservative way. So water is still a topic very close to my heart. There is a massive sanitation crisis in the world today. And even in this, I feel that we can take multiple ideas from uh, ancient India. And uh, as Sumedha already mentioned about the Hindu refugees that I'm working with, we are trying to give livelihoods to the women who, are, uh, who have uh, uh, migrated from Pakistan, or rather they have been driven out. And uh, we are, we are in the lockdown period, we have succeeded in uh, giving them some new skills and we are waiting to market that very soon. So uh, coming to today's topic of uh, Indian feminism, I want to speak about how education was as important to women in ancient India as for men. And Deepa explained that very well. Um, and what can be more telling than the fact that the deity we worship uh, for knowledge is Saraswati. She is the Devi who grants learning, uh, speech, eloquence, knowledge of music. So when we close our eyes and pray for knowledge, the, the first entity that comes to mind is a female divinity. What's more, the Upanayana ceremony, which was performed in uh, ancient times for entry into higher education, was performed for women, uh, for girls and boys, both. It was not just for boys. Uh, and uh, so many names have been mentioned. We have as many as 30 women uh, who have composed suktas in the Rig Veda, and then in later period, of course, many more. So what fascinates me is that these ladies who are mentioned in the Rig Veda must have made real contributions to the advance of scholarship. Otherwise, their names would not have been recommended for daily rem remembrance for thousands of years right until this day. 
so it's a great pity that we do we do not know anything much about these lady scholars beyond their names we don't have their works most of them have got lost uh, because of our disconnection from our heritage now uh, we know that yagnas were very important rituals performed in ancient times it needed a lot of training a lot of learning to be able to perform a yagna and yet in our ancient books we see that women on their own learned women called mantravits were performing yagnas on their own so in in ramayana for instance we have kaushalya who is doing a homa all by herself on the eve of rama's uh, anointment as yuvraja she is doing a homa all by herself which shows the level of education that she had and then we have brahmavadinis who did not marry but dedicated their whole life to learning and women were also learning complex subjects complex and abstract subjects like purva mimamsa which which were which was not easy and not many would want to go into that but we have terms for women specialists in 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 all these uh, esoteric subjects this means that there were enough women scholars at that time who were studying these subjects that that uh, a special term had to be coined for them and it is documented in mahabhashya so there was a whole tradition of women as teachers as well so we have terms like upadhyaya which signifies a female teacher and she is different from upadhyayini who is the wife of a male teacher then we have uh, a book like leelavati in which bhaskaracharya it's a it's a book on mathematics on arithmetic and the whole book is addressed to a woman as if it's it's being taught to a woman a very intelligent woman so uh, it was desirable also that a woman of higher uh, learning did not marry somebody with lower education than her and you see that mentioned in many texts for example in the yajurveda it is mentioned that a daughter who has completed brahmacharya should wed one who is learned like her uh, there is a shloka in the atharva veda which says that a woman has a little chance very little chance of finding a good husband if she is not well educated as a brahmacharini so i think this is an amazing testimony to the knowledge centered society of india now the vedas and the vedic uh, texts were uh, studied by a minuscule section of society most pe uh, people specialized in some trade like manufacturing textiles or um, jewelry furniture uh, sculpture chariots and so on and only a few women were studying the higher uh, philosophical subjects but there were others who were accomplished in at least some of the 64 arts that that we that included a whole lot of vocations and skills and uh, most women probably after a basic education were engaged in helping the uh, with the family profession so whatever livelihood it was right uh, right whether it was you know medicine or any other profession uh, the women were all the members of the family were participating and the women and children too so it was not like only the men were getting educated and women were not the men if, if it's a, a physician's family the women would also be preparing the formulations uh, for medicine so it is clear that that the kind of advanced society that we lived in must have suffered a huge setback when foreign invasion started taking place because we see that we don't uh, you know we when when the british came they didn't find that kind of a society that we see mentioned in the earlier times so there were uh, invasions there were many invasions but clearly the worst was the one by ghaznavi followed by ghori and then that whole period of islamic rule during which a woman's freedom had to be curtailed severely curtailed in order to survive the society was in turmoil and there were open slave markets where women were paraded and we cannot deny that there was a clash of civilization 
this is something that is being brushed under the carpet very frequently but we need to talk about it if we want to know what happened to that society which gave so much importance to women and after all this came european colonization which brought a new set of problems which sumeda discussed briefly so on the face of it it looks like the british education policy was benefiting the indians it made them modern but in reality it was causing a dangerous disconnection from the indic roots of the civilization and we are still paying the price for that all kinds of social evils were attributed to hinduism mainly because of christian missionaries and the whole economic landscape was tilted in favor of british everything that was being manufactured was for the british so there is a false narrative of indian history that's being propagated via the education system like the aryan invasion brahmin hegemony sati and so on this false narrative continues even after india got its independence we are literally continuing the same education system that existed before the british so if we want the indic women to rise and unleash unleash their shakti then we need to know the true history of india we need to know the educational heritage of india and her myriad traditions we need to know how much importance was given to the divine feminine so these are some of my thoughts today sumeda thank you shahana i'm sure all the listeners have noticed that all of us speakers have a certain a commonality of viewpoint and we mention the same things in our own different ways so perhaps we are all arriving at a common understanding of indic feminism shahana has pointed out the differences that were made because of invasions and because of colonization